you're listening to the Commercial Finance Podcast by Lee Chandler, where we discuss industry insights, tips about lending, capital finance, business acquisitions. The worst investment you can have is cash. Real estate acquisitions. Your financial advice depends on who you are. And everything in between. This is the Commercial Finance Podcast. everyone. Welcome back to the Commercial Finance Podcast with Lee Chandler. And today we have an amazing guest speaker. Hank and I are proud to introduce you guys to Logan Freeman. How are you doing, Logan? Just like I said before, I'm energized, thriving, and focused. It all starts with the language, man. You got to always be bringing the fire. And what you speak is what you're going to internalize. So doing fantastic. Boom. Boom, it's powerful. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, but he's absolutely right. If if you don't if you don't bring energy, a certain amount of commitment, certain amount of enthusiasm, a certain degree of confidence, mm-hmm. credibility, you know, it's like why 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 are we in this business, right? That's right. You know, one thing that I always try to go back to is a mental model and a mental model that Tony Robbins taught me called the triad. Anytime that you're feeling a little down, and I'll tell you, 45 minutes ago, my energy levels were a little low. I knew I have three uh, interviews back to back to back today. And I said, you know what? I got to bring the A game. And so I try to focus on my language, on my physiology, and what I'm focused on. And typically, mm-hmm. if I change one of those, then the energy starts to flow. And for me, inner, you know, the, the language with which I use on a regular basis is the easiest way to trigger, okay, it's game time. It's just like the old sports metaphor. You know, if you look right, you're going to play right if you're feeling right. And it's all, it's all kind of plays into to business as well now. Awesome. 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 So speaking of, I mean, Logan, how did you get started with, with where you are, right? What, what led you to, to, to you, you making these large investments and having a team of people that work with you and for you? So four years ago, I was newly married. I was focused on, you know, trying to create some sort of stability, right? And, you know, I always have had this fire within me. My dad always told me, Logan, you can accomplish anything, but you got to set your mind to it. And I I never really understood what the heck he was talking about. Um, But I always realized I wanted to be better. I wanted to, to have a life that maybe I didn't have, you know, growing up. I wanted to create that. And four years ago, I had been reading so much voraciously. Uh, four books a month. I was, you know, a week a day or a book a week is what I was reading. And I'm not saying that's the best mentality to go about it. I'm much more on implementation now, but it got me started, you know, and it created a, a new sense of belief in me that I, I could achieve what I wanted to. And so when I was fired four years ago for my safe six-figure job here in Kansas City, I had to take a real hard look at, okay, um, you know, you thought this was safe and comfortable and, and where you were supposed to be, but everything was taken from you in one day. You had no control over that. And so what are you going to do to set your family, yourself up for success? And I had to say, well, I'm, I've always been a hunter. I've always been one that wanted to be paid for my performance, meaning if I do better, I want to be compensated better. I don't want to be capped. And so that naturally in the business world uh, related to sales. And, you know, when I was fired from my sales job, I said, okay, well, 
uh, where can I focus on control? And it was said, well, I need to be a business owner and I need to create a business. And I've been studying wealthy people for quite some time. And I, I saw a lot of themes, central themes um, in, in those. And, you know, there's a quote that says something around the, the uh, percentage of 90% of the, the world's millionaires have always been created through real estate. No idea if that's true or not, but you know what? I believed it. And I started reading books about real estate and knew I wanted to get into generating uh, passive income that could create cash flow for myself, um, not correlated to an input, meaning my outputs were not correlated to the inputs that I was focused on. And so, you know, I got into real estate um, in a perfect market in Kansas City uh, at the right time. My buddy had just landed a huge client, uh, was a $50 million fund that was purchasing single family homes at scale. So we were purchasing, um, you know, single family homes, renovating them, renting them out. And then we did a refinance on um, 265 single family homes. We were the sixth group in the country to go through the Corvest portfolio refinance, which basically means, hey, we bought all these assets, we added value, we created an income stream, and we went and got non-recourse debt for the sponsors uh, across that whole portfolio and returned 85% of the capital back to the investors and still cash flowed. That was a awesome. sweet deal. Now that's hard to do in today's climate, especially in the single family home space, but these guys saw the where the trends were going. They had already done it in two or three other markets. And so when that happened, I sat down with those sponsors and I said, okay, I'm really curious. You know, I'm sure you guys are doing well, but do you really have $50 million? Where did this money come from? And they, they said, well, no, this was a syndication. Mm-hmm. Well, guys, I had never heard what that, that word before. I couldn't even spell that word. So I went off on a, a big educational circuit for myself and figured out that, hey, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to create um, a syndication business. And so uh, I brought that idea to my broker at the time. And he said, you're going to get crushed, man. You're going to be playing with the big boys. This is not something for you. And it's definitely not something for me. So you're going to go have to find a different route. And so I did. I said, okay, see you later. And I left. And I went into the commercial multifamily world and I started purchasing my own first properties. I'm a big believer that, you know, I can't sell or get anybody else on board on something unless I've done it myself. And those first few transactions, I learned a lot. Um, two years ago, I wrote a $225,000 check to one of my investors to make him whole on one of my first deals that I did with me and him. So I learned a lot, meaning I lost a lot of money, but um, I learned a ton. And then I took that same model into, okay, let me see if I can figure out where my sweet spot is. Where's the correlation or where's the intersection of my greatest strength and my greatest uh, passion? And let's figure out if I can apply that mental model, which is the Ikigai model from the Japanese. It's a Venn diagram. And I used that model and overlaid that into the commercial real estate world. I figured out, okay, you're really great at building relationships and finding off-market great opportunities. And so I focused on that and found partners that focused on the rest of the business. And that allowed us to scale to the point that we're at now. That's awesome. That's awesome. And then uh, there may still be some people who are listening and thinking like, well, what the heck is syndication? What's the best way that you could define that in a sentence? Yeah, I think that it's it's the ability to pool resources together with a group of people that have differing levels of experience, knowledge, capital, relationships to do something greater than they would be able to do uh, single on a singular level. And so, a syndication is simply um, you know having some sponsors that have the knowledge, the deal flow, the experience, the management expertise. Um, the construction background to be able to take an asset, a large asset, let's talk about, you know, let's say a $20 million asset, 
and pool resources together to actually go purchase that, add value to it, and then sell it. So creating that passive income stream. So allowing passive investors to get exposure to commercial real estate without having to manage t- toilets, tenants, and trash. That's, that'd be the best way I can, I can kind of, I think, explain that. Fantastic. I love it. All right. So some of the listeners may or may not know that you are uh, a vet, I would say, a, um, <laughs> a vet when it comes to uh, football, right? For the NFL. Okay. What, what would you say to athletes right now who are looking to invest um, and, and they're looking to get them, make the money grow. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, when I was, when I was playing football in college, you know, I'm a little small town, Jefferson city, hay throwing, you know, you know, floor sweeping type of guy, you know, I thought I made money when I grew up was putting hay from a field on the back of a trailer. I got paid to do that. Just manual labor, you know, and um, you know, I, I had no idea that uh, there were all of these different, structures that allow people to create wealth for themselves. I'm a first generation, what I'll call wealthy uh, or, or plan to be wealthy individual, right? And so you, know, you always have to be thinking about uh, what's plan B. And I had so many buddies in college that said, man, I'm going to the league and I'm going to, I'm not going to worry about my, my academics. I'm not going to even graduate potentially. And, um, you know, I didn't take that same strategy. I was an ESPN, all academic, all American before I was a, a performer on the field. Uh, obviously you have to be decent on the field too, but you have, to, you have to take your studies very seriously. And I was the only one on my team that made it to the league and I had no um, you know, plan to do that. And so, you know, frankly, you have to be thinking about what your plan B is. You know, um, if you look at the statistics with you know, how short these careers are in the NFL, in, in the NBA, in, in the MLB, all of these different professional athletics, you know, you'll see a theme that there's not a lot of people that make it for a long time. Uh, injuries, young players coming and taking their spots, politics, the game changing, uh, all of these different things, you know. And so for me, I would say, you know, if you're making a great living right now, you know, you need to be thinking about a way to create an exit strategy. I call it a transformational exit strategy that's going to allow you uh, to set yourself up for success and just model the wealthy individuals, you know, previously look at Shaquille O'Neal. That guy is a huge investor, you know, huge. I mean, look at that guy, you know, look at Floyd Mayweather. He's a brand builder, you know, made billions of dollars of, of revenue. I heard that Floyd Mayweather can't even read. Yeah. Somebody told me he can't read yeah. look hey, at that guy. I mean, but- He's putting together a good team of resources. That's right. So I would say that um, utilize your platform that you have to build relationships with really smart individuals and live live under your means. I mean, that's the biggest piece. We see all these athletes that that have a hard time after they're you know exiting the the athletic realm and and to make it because they've they've lived a current lifestyle that their current income is not going to support. And so look at J.J. Watt, you know, I mean, look at these guys that are investing these dollars that are going to allow them to set themselves up for success. So you have it all goes back to stoicism. You have to be able to delay gratification now, knowing that it's going to create something better and greater later. And so you have to be able to say no to all the pleasures, all of the amazing things that you can go do, because one day everything I went to a funeral yesterday, young guy, everything can change in one day. So plan B, you have to have it. Start thinking about that. Set yourself up for success and model the, the wealthy and successful individuals that have gone before you. That's awesome. 
um, <clears throat> Logan, it's you, you, you seem to be far wiser than your years. I don't know how old you are, and that's not important. <laughs> how did you gain such perspective, such insight, such depth of knowledge um, that, that allowed you to make the transition from the NFL, high roller in the NFL, to being an entrepreneur? Well, I would say I attribute to learning, being a, a voracious learner. And um, that for me, that was podcasts, it was audio books, and it was reading physical books. So instead of knowing what's going on in uh, the world of sports, you know, I mean, my wife always laughs at me. She goes, you know, your friends are such sports addicts that, and you have no idea who even won the game. You do know who the Chiefs, if the, if the Chiefs won. That's just about it, though. You know, um, so, but she's always laughing because I have no interest in it, really. Uh, what I have interest in is setting my life and my, my family up for success. And so to me, I, I was really early on uh, turned on to reading. And when I, I still remember, the first book I ever read was uh, the, the Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And this was in my master's program. It was in a marketing class. And I was like, why did I not, why is this not earlier on in, in my curriculum? Why am I just now reading Stephen Covey and Charles wow. Duhigg and James Clear and Dale Carnegie and Napoleon Hill? Why am I just now getting, you know, this put into my life? This need, this should have been back in my freshman year. And so I, I just found that uh, through reading, I could create the change that I was actually wanting to go uh, create in my life. And so if I didn't know something, guess what? There's a book for that. There's a podcast for that. It is in today's age, it is so easy to get information, which is a double-edged sword, right? Because there is a ton of information, which can be uh, a creator of analysis by paralysis or paralysis by analysis, sorry. Um, but it also means that you have access to the education that uh, you know, my parents and my parents' parents never had without going to the library or trying to get into an encyclopedia. All I have to do is get on my phone and Google something, you know? So for me, it was a focus on that. I had some great mentors in my life that allowed me to, to say, hey, you know, I'm young. I got the opportunity to create this life that I want to. I want to model yours. What, what should I do? And they just kept giving me books and they just kept giving me books. And I, one book led to the next, which led to 2000 books behind, me, you know, so I think it was just, uh, it was, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm a big guy of, of talents and strength finders. And one of my top talents is, is a learner. Thankfully, I love to learn. And so um, that was a big piece was just, you know, taking that learning and then going and implementing those things that I was, I was learning. Uh, Logan, is that the strength finder 2.0 behind you on your right, right hand side? Absolutely. It, it was, was blurred it was, out, but I was like, I, I'm, I have that book. <laughs> yes. Strength finders 2.0 changed my life because I started to understand who I was, what was my unique genetic makeup. And once you can start to learn who you are, you can start to create that identity and build upon that strength finders. It's the book should be called talents finders because, yeah. <laughs> because strengths are only strengths if they are cultivated from your talents. And so those talents are your raw materials. Okay. And so you got to take that raw material. Sure. You know, think about like uh, gold, right? Yeah. If you go find a chunk of gold, that's awesome. 
But really, what does gold get turned into? It turns into wedding rings. It turns into all of the things, right? So take that gold and create jewelry from it, you know? And so that was a big piece for me was understanding that, okay, these are talents. That's awesome. I need to go actually create these into strengths. And so uh, that book changed my life, which also turned me on to Emotional Intelligence 2.0. And you're hearing it from a 335-pound offensive lineman here. Emotional intelligence is what elevated me to the level that I'm, I'm able to continue to, to grow every single day. I mean, understanding self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, and relationship management, those four components is a mental model that will help you uh, immensely in your life. And so I studied that for two and a half years straight. Awesome. 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 You're, um, you mentioned the strength finders and one of the great things there too, it tells you, it tells you what you're not good at. That's right. And then you're able to basically find others that are better at that than you are. And so um, when, I, when we talk to people about investing or about passive income, sometimes people don't understand that wealth creation is a team sport. Yes. Can um, anyone who's listening, um, Logan, can you, can you help them understand the difference between passive income and earned income? Absolutely. You know, passive income is not so... Naval Ravikant is a guy that I, I love to study, and he's the CEO of Angels List. And a Kansas City guy, my age, aggregated all of Naval's tweet storms. Uh, <laughs> believe it or not, tweet storms are a thing. I, I'm not on Twitter, so I don't know. But uh, took all of his tweet storms and then evaluated, and then just you know continued to to dive deeper into these. And one of the things that he says is to build true wealth, your your inputs cannot be correlated to your outputs. And so what you're creating cannot be tied to time, right? And so if your, your time is the only thing that's creating income for you, then you're going to be hindered. You're going to be limited at some point. Even the top of the top CEOs, you know, that work 80 hours a week and travel every single week of the, of the year, they're tied to their, their, their time for being there. So hopefully they're taking all that money and investing it. Um, but the investing piece, right? So what is invest me. Okay. I love the etymology of, of words. So vesting, you know, you put something on, you wear it, it's yours, right? But you have to get into that first. Mm -hmm. So you find mechanisms that allow for the outputs to not be correlated to the inputs by investing your dollars. So instead of working for your dollars, your dollars are working for you. And so a lot of times these are intangible assets that are, are spitting off what is called cash flow from the business. So if you look at um, you know, Tiger 21, which is an ultra wealthy group, you have to have $10 million of, of investable assets. Michael Sonnefeld, I believe is the leader of that group. And they send out their asset allocations quarterly that I love to get. And what I see is the asset allocation is to private equity and to real estate. That's the, the number one and number two pieces. Both of those things are tangible and they throw off cash flow. And so that's the difference between active and passive uh, income. You know, passive income's out there earning for you while you sleep. Active is tied to your time. Awesome. And so someone who's listening, and we and Hank and I just left a meeting where we're, we're educating people about uh, equity in general. So it's spot on. Um, sometimes someone may hear you say private equity. And how would you best describe that? Because some people think that that's just the stock market. Sure. <laughs> or they think well, that is a stock market. Okay. So 
Most wealthy individuals, there's a structure that people put in place called a family office. And this was something that I had to learn about the last couple of years. Family office is, you know, generational wealth, right? With your family. Look, I'm creating the first generation of the Freeman family office here in Kansas City. And so that whole thing, that whole structure is to say, okay, you're going to generate this wealth, but then how do you preserve it? That's the number one goal. Let's preserve the wealth, right? Warren Buffett's number one rule of, of investing. Don't, don't lose, lose money. <laughs> number two, don't Sorry, ever, yeah, don't ever go against number one, right? So wealth pre preservation is huge. And that's a big piece of it just in and of itself um, with all the changing market dynamics. But the second piece is private equity, meaning, okay, well, how do we pool these, these dollars together and go invest in something that's not correlated to Wall Street? Meaning a bunch of uh, young stimulus driven, um, you know, millennials with an app on their phone cannot impact my returns. Now they can do that through Wall Street, right? I mean, that we've seen this happen with GameStop, with AMC, which is a Kansas City company. You know, we got on Reddit and Reddit just blew these, these stocks out of the water. Based on what? Sentiment, based on sentiment. You cannot do that in these private equity companies, uh, meaning a manufacturing business, a service-based business. You know, um, you know, some of the most wealthy individuals I know are in the manufacturing business and they're doing plumbing fixtures, you know? I mean, just crazy stuff like this. Uh, but these things are generating cash flow that are uncorrelated to Wall Street, which you cannot get access to. So that's the private piece. And then the equity piece is, okay, great. Let's, let's, let's put these dollars together and go get some ownership in these, these institutions, in these companies, in this real estate. So I think that's how I would break it down is I know private equity gets thrown around a lot. Uh, institutional uh, investors have jumped into private equity um, you know, over the last 10 years. Um, I'm reading Sam Zell's book right now, and he talks about when private equity started getting into real estate investment trusts and, and all of these different things. But if, you, if the regular Joe cannot get access to it, I would say that that's a pretty good definition of, of what private equity is. And it's not correlated to the, to the broader markets like the stock market that we see all the time. Yeah. And, and oh. real quick, Real quick, I know Hank's going to add something to that too. I just sure. want to say that the ownership piece that Logan mentioned is super important because it's the ownership piece that allows the tax advantages. And that's, that's right. another benefit for investing in real estate as well as to private equity because the ownership allows those tax advantages too. Yes. Stocks will not give you tax advantages. That's right. Um, Logan, you were, you, you know, you, you're mentioning, mentioning, um, before we started to record uh, one of the first major deals you put together of, uh, you know, of, of single family homes. Yes. How has your, your experience and your knowledge of quote real estate and in, in real estate invest, how it has it evolved sure. in what would you call your sweet spot today? Martin? That's a great, that's a great question because I am invested in single family homes, in hotels, in office, in multifamily, and in neighborhood retail shopping centers. But my sweet spot is multifamily and what I'll call workforce class C multifamily, well below construction, new construction costs. So you can't build it to support the rents that, that you're getting. So it needs to be a pre-existing building. But my thesis has changed over the years for twofold. The first being scale. 
when I, when I built the single family home portfolio, the only reason we were able to do it at scale was because we had the management team in place. We had the construction in place and we had the capital ready to go. And the market supported that thesis at the time. If I've learned anything in real estate over the past four years, it is that if you do not pivot and listen to what the market is demanding, you will fail. Because the same thesis that I had 12 months ago, when I had $25 million worth of neighborhood retail shopping centers under contract and dropped it pre-COVID, was, was a not a good thesis at the time. It was you know, a month before COVID, right? But everything shifted. And I focused more on multifamily because I saw a trend saying, okay, well, if, if retail shuts down, then they're not going to be able to pay their rent. But everybody still needs a place to live. If they lose a job, I guarantee they can pay a $600 per, per month you know, rent payment instead of a $1,200 payment. And so I guess my, my thesis has changed on, on what I should focus on in relation to scale and then what the market is demanding. I still love the asset classes that I'm in uh, other than multifamily. But they, they were in a certain time that made them more attractive than they are right now. And until I see the pricing arbitrage in those other asset classes that we have not seen yet here in Kansas City, I'm not going to get back into those. And so I think that I, I'm just really, really in tune. And everybody, if you're investing in an asset class as, as niche as real estate, you have to be very in tune with what's going on in your local market where those assets are located. And that's why I'm a big proponent of investing where you can, uh, or investing with sponsors that are local to the properties that they're investing in. I have a lot of buddies who are capital aggregators and they place capital with folks like me. That's a fine business, I suppose. But when I'm talking to my investors and they say, hey, how's that deal over in Independence doing? I can drive in the car and I can go get pictures that same day and I can give them an update. So I think that um, scalability and the changing market dynamics um, continue to shape and change our investment thesis. But one thing that has rang true is, is recession-resistant asset classes like workforce housing, I don't think are going to go anywhere anytime soon. And so we feel very strong with that. And that's our sweet spot. Um, do you have any mixed-use assets on your portfolio? So the second deal that I mentioned right before we started recording was my biggest failure. And I figured, well, might as well just jump right into this. And everything I had touched up to this point turned to gold, right? Everything that I had done uh, just worked. And so I had this, I think, um, unfounded sense of confidence uh, that I could go you know, from single family homes into a 12,000 square foot um, you know, mixed use building that was built in 1880 that was completely vacant. And uh, what I learned on that that project, which I'll tell, the, tell you the outcome here very soon. But what I learned on that project is when I tried to wear the hat of management um, and you know, my regular day-to-day -day activities, it wasn't going to work out very well. And so I ended up uh, exiting that deal. It was a mixed-use project with short-term rentals on the, on the top level and retail on the, on the main level. Um, for two reasons. The first was my business blew up and I didn't have the time that I had previously. And second, I was the hindering factor in relation to the construction component of this deal. Uh, my investor was not local here in Kansas City. We own other assets together. Everything else turned out great. This one did not. And I said, hey, Lucas, it's time for me to step away from this, write you a check, get the right team members in place and get you finished with this project. That project is 
now completed and getting leased up and uh, making money that I, after I, you know, exited myself. But that was the, that was the only mixed use project that I have, uh, mm -hmm. that I have done up to this point. I have one smaller mixed use project uh, with short-term rentals on top and, and a retail component, but it's much smaller and it was completely leased up at the time that we purchased it. Do you do any vertical integration in, in uh, some of the stuff that you're doing? Absolutely. You know, I always talk about the five commandments of business, which are control, high barrier of entry, a need, the ability to step away from your time and to be able to scale it. And uh, the biggest piece for the business that we're in now, which is uh, repositioning multifamily assets, vertical integration is key. And what I mean by that is if you have to rely on vendors on every step of the way, you have no control over that. And so we brought property management in-house. We brought asset management in-house. We brought um, the brokerage in-house. We brought all of these different pieces. Construction management is in-house. We do not general contract any of our projects. I just don't see a lot of uh, um, return on investment of our time on that yet. Uh, we potentially might do that soon, but I have great relationships in that space that I felt hey, your expertise is, is good enough to, for me to pay for, uh, and I can use my time in other places that are more valuable. But being vertically integrated across all of those components of these transactions has allowed us to control that, keep our costs down, and have our finger on the pulse of what's going on much better than relying on vendors um, you know, on every step. Uh -huh. um, that, that's, that's great. My, my mind is racing in the point of... Do, how does cost segregation play with with uh, with your ventures? Well, it's a huge it's a huge component, and obviously, um, you know, being a qualified real estate professional is one of the best classifications, in my opinion, that any investor can get themselves into. And I'll give it. A, I'll give a story about this. Okay, so one of my main investors. Uh, was a senior product manager at Apple with Siri at the time that he started investing with us. And uh, frankly, he, he, his whole goal was to offset as much income that he could uh, legally through the structures that he had put in place. So he was able to get have his wife become a licensed real estate uh, agent in the state that they were in and start managing all of their assets. They had holdings in California and they had holdings here in Kansas City and actively and passively. And so what he was able to do was to be able to create a structure where his wife was a qualified real estate professional showing that she worked 750 hours in the business every single year, which allowed them to take all of the benefits of depreciation through our cost segregation studies. So that's bonus depreciation. And that's the, you know, that, that's the first year. And then our regular depreciation after that. What that allowed them to do was to keep, uh, I'll say probably close to 60% to more of their income in their pockets uh, than, than having to, to actually go pay the Uncle Sam for that. So just for your listeners on that front, if you are a qualified real estate professional, first off, I'm not a tax attorney or a CPA, so this is not uh, tax advice, but this is my own experience. You have uh, the ability to um, step away from the passive loss limitations that, that typical investors are. And so if you're a W-2 employee and your wife is a W-2 employee, probably very difficult to become a qualified real estate professional. But if you're working with your CPA, documenting your hours, 
and you're, you're showing that you're working in that business, the passive loss limitations no longer apply to you. And you're allowed to take that cost segregation study, which created bonus depreciation for your family uh, against all of your active income, which is a very powerful tool. Yep. Wow. Yeah, well, you know, again, m m lots of lots of people don't even know that cost segregation exists or uh, if their if their CPA is aware of it, <laughs> um, they you know the the individual may not be participating in that in that process right. only because um, ignorance is truly is bliss. Absolutely, you know I think that education around this has has started to to really blossom, which is mm -hmm. which is great. Um, and it is, is really driving people's activity because I know a few doctor groups that um, have stepped away full time from their practice to half time and figuring out a way to show that they're working in their real estate business 750 hours or whatever the, the actual qualification is mm -hmm. um, and allowing them to qualify as a real estate professional status and then exit that uh, that other business. So to go back to the, 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 the gentleman that was working at, that at, at Apple, he no longer works at Apple. He manages his real estate hundred uh, percent of the time. And uh, in the last 15 months working with us and working with his own company, he's grown it uh, to over a hundred million dollars of assets under management. And he's a private equity uh, real estate investor now that is managing a lot of money. So I think that it's happening. Um, the education piece that is out there that allow people to get access to this and then the ability to actually go implement it is very, very strong. It's a tool that uh, unfortunately not a lot of people know about. And uh, it shows like these that really allow folks to get access and at least an introductory course in the way that these wealthy individuals are, are setting their lives up to keep more in their pockets. Yeah. So when are you writing your book? <laughs> I've been asked that question quite a bit, and um, I've always been of the, uh, the thinking process that I need to go do something before I actually write a book, and maybe that time has come. I'm not sure. I wrote a book two years ago, and um, that book is still in Google Sheets. I haven't done anything with it. I revisited uh -huh. it recently, and uh, it's like, you know what? That was the wrong book at the wrong time, but I might revisit that at some point and, and publish that book, but we'll probably have one out here in the next year or so. I, I, I imagine we'll We'll get to writing one of these and, and just tell some of these stories that that we've been through because we've been through some crazy ones. Awesome. What I've been most impressed by you, Logan, um, is that um, I heard a cliche some years ago that that leaders are readers yes. and readers are leaders. Mm -hmm. And um, and unfortunately, I think too often we run into individuals who may have made it in certain aspects of life but they haven't read anything since they made it. Right. They, they may read a newspaper or a magazine, but they don't, they don't read the struggles of, of other people, either self-help or autobiographies or biographies, you know, life, life lessons books, you know. I'll add another one to that. Earners are learners. Yes. <laughs> so I'll just, I'll add one more to that. And um, I, I put a post up on LinkedIn and I said, you know what? I am done reading business books, you know? And it was just because I've, I've continued to see the same thing said mm -hmm. over and over again. And that's okay because 
the way that the message is comprised and put together can hit people at a different uh, in a different line, which is fine. But what I've really enjoyed doing recently is reading stories. So reading mm-hmm. biographies focused on on stories like Unbroken, The Boys in the Boat, Lone Survivor, and uh, Matthew McConaughey's book Green Lights just came out recently. One of my top five books of all time now because. Wow. He has ingrained all of the same principles that I took from all of these books just through life. And how, that, how awesome is that? It was just his life that, and he was self-reflective enough. The guy's been writing in a journal for 35 years. He went out in the desert for two weeks with only a little generator to write the book. I mean, that's just wild, you know? And so being able to get access to that in my ears while I'm working out, while I'm driving the kids to daycare, whatever it is, is a powerful, powerful tool. And I have to say that leaders are readers and earners are learners. And the moment that you stop is the moment that somebody's going to pass you by. And so that's a big tool to have in your toolkit is to get back to reading. And uh, I got some favorite books, but we've talked about a lot of them already. Uh, All you got to do is search Google for top five books of all time, and, and they'll all pop up in there. Just start there. You'll start you know, moving off in different directions to what interests you. Um, As a wrapping up, uh, Logan, can you let people know why it's so important for people to, well, from our opinion of the the benefits of having investment real estate in the Midwest? So, you know, I have an acronym. I have an acronym for everything because I always joke that being an offensive lineman, I had so many concussions that I can't remember things. <laughs> easily. So I have to use acronyms to remember them. And so and this acronym. You have a sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> I do. They didn't knock that out of me. So that's good. You know, and this acronym is ideal. And so it's the ideal investment. Commercial real estate, private equity is the ideal investment because it provides income, depreciation, equity buildup, appreciation, and you have leverage. And so if you can combine those five things into an investment, uh, that structure, that mechanism is going to create wealth for you if, if done the right way. The Midwest is an interesting market in and of itself. We probably don't have enough time to, to really jump into it, but is, is because of affordability. I think what COVID-19 has shown a lot of people is, hey, what's important to me in my life? Is it being in the high rise? Is it having a little bit of of grass to cut? Is it being able to have time to to spend with my kids outside? Whatever that is to you, what we're seeing is a lot of trends to, hey, I can still work, make my same salary, but live in a market that's 30, 40, 50% cheaper and put that back into my pocket. And so the, the heartland is what I like to call the Midwest, is the heart of the United States, offers that, you know, but it also offers all four seasons, you know, <laughs> now. So in Kansas City, we have uh, harsh winters. We have hot summers. But I think that's why we're seeing a lot of people flock to Texas, to Florida, to all these different states, because we're, you know, these, these folks can still make their salaries. They have a lower cost of living and maybe even a better you know, type of living, too. So I think that uh, the heartland, Kansas City. Um, there's a couple other cities. Oklahoma City is another great one uh, that we continue to see pop up. Um, they, they offer a lot of attractive things to young individuals that uh, may be making a good salary that can now work from wherever, which is, which is an awesome thing. But um, that has all these other different implications. You know, Newton's third law of motion uh, is one that everybody needs to be studying right now, which is an action 
every action has an, an opposite equal reaction, right? And so, um, you know, we're seeing kind of some changes in the office sector in Kansas City, in the big cities. And you have to take in, into consideration um, how the, that, you know, your investment is going to be utilized as well. So when I think about, you know, the different asset classes that I'm all invested in and what we focus on is I'm trying to find trends that were pre-COVID, meaning what was happening before COVID-19 that is continuing to happen and maybe COVID just exacerbated them. I don't really care about the new trends because we're already seeing people move back to San Francisco. We're already seeing people, you know, New York City open back up and everybody said, oh, there's gonna be these mass exoduses. Well, maybe, but we're also growing and people are moving back into those cities because they wanna be there. Um, and, and so I'm looking for these trends that we're saying, okay, well, what are folks doing pre-COVID that COVID-19 just exacerbated? And that's where our investment thesis is continuing to evolve uh, on a regular basis. But the heartland, I think affordability is great. The, 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 the type of living that you can get here is, is wonderful. And that's attracted to us a unique uh, certain demographic uh, that is you know, creating population growth here in the Midwest. Fantastic. If you had to do it all over again, where would you? Because we all sort of kind of reflective sometimes. Oh, yeah. If I had to do it all over again, man, I'd probably give myself a little more grace. You know, I'm really hard on myself. Grace. And, you know, I think that um, I have a, a, a good mentor that's always saying you have to celebrate your wins. You mm -hmm. know, and I just, you know, as my my athletic mentality was, it was just next play mentality, you know. If you won or lost that play, you just got up and you did it again. And now that I'm, I'm kind of getting into some sort of a groove, it's uh, really important to, to take some time, step back, and really celebrate those wins and celebrate the people that helped with those wins as well. Yeah. I didn't do that um, the last six years. This year, I've completely changed that, that trajectory. And I tell you what, you know, life does not have to be a means to the end. Life can be art you know, and the way that you make it art is by enjoying the process. Read Paulo Cahello's book, The Alchemist. The process oh, actually is the end goal, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but until you really feel that and go through that, it's hard to explain it. But that's what I felt like I've gone through the last seven years was, hey, I'm just going to grind it out every single day. And I have. But now I start to step back and enjoy it and take a little bit more time and make sure that I'm, I'm building my life around my business and my business around my life, right? So um, anyways, or maybe I said that backwards. No, no, the, that was perfect. That okay. was perfect. I'm not, I, always, I always mix that up. But <laughs> no, you're anyways, good. That, that's what I would say I'd, I'd change. What, what, I'm, what I'm hearing, Logan, is that you have surrounded yourself with a different type of team now mm -hmm. than you had on the field. Yes. Because uh, it's not about winning the game or winning and losing in a game. This is about, um, for lack of a better word, prospering in its totality. Mm -hmm. all, at, all aspects of life. Just. And unfortunately, too many people miss out on that because, because they're good at this or that, or that they're better at this or that than, than most people around them. They feel that they have to do it themselves and they are reluctant mm -hmm. uh, of bringing someone on 
who may be good at one thing, but I've learned that if you find someone who's good at one thing, then let them do that one thing that they're good at. And that takes time, uh, allows you to do something else or find other people that are good at one thing. Because I think it was uh, Getty that says, I would rather have 1% of 100 than 100% of one. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and that, uh, the, the model that I use for that is, is simply calling that leverage. And there's three types of leverage, right? There's the old adage of, of people, and that is a big piece of leverage. And in my business, we have to have people. As much as I'd like to say technology allows us to, to step away from everything, it doesn't. We're in a people business. Yeah. The assets that we're managing require people. So there's people, there's technology, and then there's capital. And we apply all three of those to our business to create leverage that allow us to operate in that sweet spot. And when you operate in that sweet spot, it's sustainable and it's enjoyable and it's fun and you're better at it. <laughs> and so that's the big piece that we're continuing to focus on is finding those sweet spots, putting those right people on the right seats, on the bus, moving in the right direction. Awesome. With that being said, guys, we have to conclude. Logan, we have to do this again. Thank you so much for, for your time. No, we're going to come to Kansas City. <laughs> I yeah, love yeah. that. And have some of that barbecue. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Thank you, guys. Hey, if you like the idea of gaining wealth, adding to your portfolio, and also protecting what you have, then I have a great treat for you. I'm gonna give you a free guide and ebook that you can use that will show you to protect what you have. All you have to do is go to lelandbaptist.net forward slash 35. That's lelandbaptist.net net forward slash 35 and protect what you have. Hey, Leland Baptist here. And if you're looking to add investments to your portfolio, maybe something outside of the stock market, something you can put your hands on. That could be an established business. It can also be uh, investment real estate, okay? But you're having trouble because maybe you need a team. You're realizing that you can't do it all on your own. You need people to help you with the analysis, the acquisition, the strategies, the capital raising. Heck, you just need help, right? Well, if that's the case, you're in luck. We have a program and a group called Asset Builders Club. Asset Builders Club or ABC. And if this sounds like something that has great interest for you, then all you have to do is this. Go to assets2freedom.com. That is assets2freedom.com. A-S-S-E-T-S, -S -S, the number two, freedom.com. And we'll see you on the inside.